thought the job was done. They thought it was all behind them. But sometimes, the past doesn't stay where it belongs. Now, Brad and Andrew must fight to protect all that they've built. The stakes have never been higher. And the beer has never been colder. This year, the epic continues. This is the Brew and View Podcast. Bringing you the latest in blood and guts and in living color. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Broomview Podcast. What is up, everyone? Ooh, that must be uh, Mr. Brad. Yep. Last time I checked. And you are? I am Andrew. We're I back drinking beer, beer, watching movies. Yeah. We, uh, you are listening to the podcast that critics uh, say... Gets inside you and uh, fandom <laughs> bursts from your chest. Yes. It's hard to ignore. And uh, without further ado, I think it's, I think, uh, I get, I've been hearing, you've been working hard. I've been, uh, I've been ready to crack open a beer all day. So, yes. I say we don't stand Well, on what, what did you crack open? I just heard it. Oh, yeah. Good, good. I, <laughs> I always hope that picks up. On the on the old recording, uh, I just broke into um, a Bridge Rubble Double IPA uh, from Destin Brewery. All right, over there in uh, Destin, Florida, it was uh, brought to me when uh, we had some some visitors a couple weeks ago. Uh, it is a double IPA that is. 8.2% ABV. I'm taking a sip of it now, and it's great. 
it is a really uh, just solid, um, solid IPA. I will say that um, it doesn't have that double. Uh, it doesn't have that 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 flavor that hits you. But I think mm-hmm. it's a, I think it's a good beer. Um, it is uh, 85 IBUs, and I've had it a couple times before this. But we um, the place we used to go kind of got kind of infamous for um, among some of us at least. They uh, they would have really flat pours. And uh, so I remember getting this a couple times, and uh, it just didn't have the carbonation. And so now I feel like, even though it's not on draft, I'm enjoying it more uh, closely to what Destin Brewery had in mind when they put it out. And uh, I like it a lot. Good. Good, good. Good doubles, hard to find. Yeah, it's um, it's an easy drinking double for sure. I mean, 8 point, uh, what did I say, 2? 8.2, no no slouch. Um but it does. It kind of drinks like just a regular IPA, right? So. That's sneaky. Mm-hmm. So I'm sneaky. feeling a three solid, solid three and a half. I'd say here, three point five on the old Untapped. Very good. Oh yeah. Very good. Oh yeah. Um, I am drinking another one that you sent up to me. Uh, from Trim Tab Brewing Company in Birmingham, Alabama. It is the Trim Tab IPA, 6.3 ABV and a 61 IBU. And uh, it, uh, it's not bad. It's, it's, uh, it's a malty IPA. Um, it's, it doesn't have that high hop. You know, even with the 61 IBU, it doesn't have that that real big bitter it's more of um yeah more of um i don't know a smoother palate i guess or smoother taste to it uh the the malts are at the back of your tongue a little bit mm-hmm. and they kind of sit there uh so it's not my ideal ipa but it's still not bad um <clears throat> i gave it a 3.5 um nice. it it it's a hev- it's a heavy IPA, um, if you know what I mean. It's not the flavor. The flavor's heavy, so mm-hmm. it feels like it would be more. It would be hard to drink m- more than one, or not more than one, but like a ton of these over uh, a period of time. It, uh, yeah. So it, they definitely have a. They didn't. They didn't rely on the hops to overpower the whatever they were they're we're attempting to do because a lot of times that happens, I think with IPAs, Yeah, you know, you throw a ton of hops in it and then just let that overpower you. And you think it might be a good beer, which I mean, I'm gullible for that sometimes uh, yeah, too, but, but I mean, um, if you enjoy this it, one relies more on the, I don't know. I, I, I keep saying malts, but I, I don't know if that's even the best word for it. So uh, it's got a, Color intensity intensity of a ten SRM. Mm. So I don't know what that means, but that's on the can. There you go. But it's a what's it say? Smooth gravitational nectar, yeah. balanced. 
So it's on the can. So thank you very much. A spirit so of far. quality. What? A spirit of quality. At least that's mm-hmm. what the trim tab koozie I have says. Okay. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, their their uh, cult logo. Well, you haven't sent me any any stinkers yet, so that's I good. Appreciate that's good. Appreciate that. Um, but yeah, and thank you very much. Uh, and we're rating all this stuff and talking about it on Untapped, where we have some followers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people, and if you want to follow us, we're at Brew View, we're Brew and View Pod, and you can follow us. We'll follow you back. And J.K. had a hop, 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 timium, hop, timium, hop, timium, from Sierra Nevada. It's an IPA triple, and he gave it a four point five, which is something to say. Uh, Dave Morrow had a mother-in-law IPA, mm. which uh, I don't think he put a. Score on, so I don't know if he liked it or not. <laughs> and and uh, he we, also had a Rev Sesh 4 and a tricky proposition. And like I said, he didn't rate any of them, so I'm not sure. Um, and we had Brent Gar had a mosaic from St. Bonaventure or St. Boniface uh, Brewing Company. So we got uh. A lot of people checking in, <clears throat> check in with us and let us know what you're drinking. It's always fun to toast and toast others. Yes. And be toasted. There you go. And get toasted. Oh, yeah, that's the move. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, thank you, everybody, who's already uh, following us and interacting with us on Untapped. Yeah. Doing doing stuff, having fun. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I told you before we started, I'm going on vacation here next week. I'm heading down to uh, the Virginia Beach area, mm-hmm. and I plan on finding some local brews down there nice. to indulge in. Uh, hopefully, I find some good stuff that I can report back on. Yeah, do some uh, work in the field. Yes, field work, yes. Mm-hmm. Going, uh, doing, what do they call them? Uh, Boots on Satellites ground. or... Yes. When... Going on going on assignment. Yeah, I'm being very agreeable now because I have no idea. Yes, uh, <laughs> the people working in new the news, mm-hmm. they're uh, you know satellite. I should hits. know. Yeah. Um, not because I'm in news, but because I uh, watched a little movie. Yeah. Little news movie. Yeah. Well, do you want to get into that, or do you have some more beer talk? Um, I don't have much happening in the beer world, so uh, why not talk about Christine? Ooh. Yeah, let's do it. Christine. That's the movie I signed yeah. you from last week. Yes, you assigned me Christine, which is a uh, biographical drama about Christine Chubik. Uh, such a unfortunate last name to have your boss call you i feel like like yes. every time it was just very uh very grating when her boss would be like chubik yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah when, everyone called her that too yeah just christine works yeah. christine's fine um so it is uh directed by antonio campos who uh has not really directed anything of note um he it seems like he's been doing more uh on the producing end um but even that not really 
much of note. Uh, Martha Marcy uh, May Marlene is the one. I, I hadn't even seen that movie, but I know. I remember when that came out. It has, I think, Elizabeth Olsen in it. And if it were better, I, we'd probably be talking about it more. But it was also written by Craig Shilowitz. Um, and kind of the same deal. He seems yeah. like he's more on the producing end, and this is his only writing credit. Uh, so, that being said, I mean, it really is uh, a piece about uh, the TV reporter from the 70s struggling with depression and professional frustrations as she tries to advance her career. Uh, it stars Rebecca Hall. And it really is the Rebecca Hall show. Mm-hmm. Um, Rebecca Hall has kind of just popped up and uh, popped up is maybe maybe a bit dismissive. Um, she was in known for movies like The Prestige, uh, yeah. The Town, Iron Man Three. Um, oh, yeah. which the gift, the terrible one. In my opinion, um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, she kind of disappears into this role, and uh, that's really the crux of this movie. And uh, I think that's why this movie delivers. Um, she is able to. So this is about a very like uptight, um, prude woman. Uh, and they do a great job of, uh, or they, Rebecca Hall does an incredible job of portraying that without, um, overacting, I think, and without, and, and the movie does a great job of portraying it without, uh, spelling it out and being over expository. Mm -hmm. Um, but she is, uh, at this radio station, she, or radio, at this news station, she has um, committed to, or she's kind of the uh, like village reporter. Like it just seems like what's going on in um, Sarasota like, this week, yes. and like let's sit down with Mel the grocer and you know Steve the mechanic. Just really kind of. She she but, takes them serious, but and maybe it's a different time too in the seventies. But now but you have those too. Like you have like today in today's world, a fluff piece. Like the going to see like the strawberry festival or mm-hmm. some. You know what I mean? Doing that type of reporting. Yeah. You know. Yeah, community reporting. Right. Um. Yeah. So, uh, she just does these kind of non-stimulating stories. And uh, the opportunity presents itself where if she can um, find a new angle, do some more uh, in-depth reporting, she potentially could... uh, Where were they going? Maryland? Uh, Baltimore. Baltimore, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she she has an opportunity. um, The the head of the network bought a new radio... I don't know why I keep going with radio. Bought a new uh, television station, and um, he was looking to poach some talent from this small Sarasota market. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, she decides that she is going to go for it. And uh, she has to do some stuff she's uncomfortable with. Uh, also, uh, George, handsome George, played by mm-hmm. Michael C. Hall, who um, I don't really know if I've seen him in anything other than Dexter. And I didn't really watch Dexter. Um, but I'm yeah, I saw him. Looking. I watched like the first two seasons of Dexter. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and I... it's it's okay. Like I know I could see why people dug it because it mm-hmm. was kind of fascinating. But um, I mean, it was I was watching the same time. I was trying to watch, you know, uh, Breaking Bad. So yeah, really I think on. it was like. It was on either after Breaking Bad or Walking Dead for a while. So I I've seen like <laughs> I've seen terrible um like I've seen like a couple episodes in the middle of season 4. So I I am not a good rubric for for Dexter, but that's the only thing I really know him uh from. And he is like really I don't He's really funny as, like, he's incidentally comedic. Like, he takes himself very seriously, and the people around him take him very seriously, but you know that he's kind of a product of his environment and his time. It was like, this is almost 50 years ago that this is uh, taking place, and he... um, he, He's strangely... I mean, he's a, he's kind of aloof, mm-hmm. but still, he's not he's, um, but he's not that lead anchor type of, you know, um, kind of like smacking girls' butts and yeah, y- you know, um, yeah, he's not you know, sleazy. as soon as the lights go off, he's got a scotch in his you know, <laughs> yeah, in his hand. He's more of a hippie style type, like. Yeah. So it's, it, but he has always has, he always has like this grin, like a little bit of a grin on his face when he's talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's just kind of always on, like, where the cameras might be. But yeah, no, he definitely doesn't really like read as a, a scumbag. A Kent Brockman type. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things that kind of was a hurdle to get over in. Uh, the initial stage of watching this movie is that it is the subject matter that was parodied in Anchorman. It's, yes. It fits yeah. the time period. It's the small market or, well, what is it? San Francisco. Well, yeah. San Diego. Or yeah. San Diego. Yeah. I mean, back then it was kind of a small, it, it still is a smaller market yeah. compared to other bigger markets. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they, like they set themselves in, exactly where uh anchorman was parodying and it's it's kind of one of those things where like people are always like oh office space is funny but once you work in an office you see how accurate it is yeah and i know that this is not indicative of what it's like to work in a newsroom but it did kind of have that effect of like it did i mean they gave an authentic authenticity to it mm-hmm. um yeah it felt it felt real like from all the props mm-hmm. like the splicing machines the uh the uh just yeah. the cameras and all that stuff yeah there were some um, really nice flourishes on this um, it was 
like the prop department were working overtime on this one. Yeah, and they did a really good job, and it does it it comes across as very accurate. Um, but uh, well, like here's something to ask. Okay, okay, like is this? I knew what was going to happen in this movie. My watch sat down and watched it. Mm-hmm. Did you know what was going to happen in this movie? Uh, no, I really. Or why? Why it was a movie? No, I didn't. Because there's only one reason why it's a movie. Right. Um. So, like, like from my point of view, it's worth talking about that. But from your point of view, not knowing, mm-hmm. is it worth going into that? Um. Yes, absolutely, and I think that's why. It, uh, I kind of feel like tiptoeing around the third act is uh, I thought it was a really good. Um, so Christine is definitely like uh, just Mopey is not the right. Mopey sounds like it's she's, kind of she's writing got it depression. Off. She's like, yeah, she's absolutely depressed, she's, but it didn't uh, bit of bipolar. Yeah. And it didn't really click with me. Like at first I thought she was just kind of like, Christine's a news reporter who's down on her luck. Yeah. Um, it's, at first, she just came across as kind of kind of mopey, and then yeah. like she's definitely um, dealing with some some deeper psychological issues. And uh, it's um, really good, and I I think it's really true to life. The like she's does the, her character is constantly like reaching out. And um, reaching out while simultaneously barricading herself, pushing and pushing yeah, away from anybody, yeah. and uh, like you can see it when she's she's so like desperate to connect with people, but then the second they either the the people in her life have like a a, a minor misstep, like um, like her or they mom don't didn't show they don't go the way on, she yeah. envisions like. Her 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 advances for closeness are are accepted and received, but not reciprocated the way exactly the way she wants it. Yeah, and yeah. that throws her off. And it that's and I thought they like as the movie goes on, it goes it's it feels like it's from her point of view. Mm-hmm. Then it goes to the to the people around her's point of view, and like how it shows you the the bipolar nature of her yeah what of her uh personality yes you know at first you just think she's put upon and by the end you start start to start to see how much she puts upon people mm-hmm. so i thought i thought I, that was well done yeah i think that it's a really it's definitely a uh character study i would say like it's mm-hmm. like uh, I mean yeah it I mean it's pretty, a narrative to a point because there yeah, is a it's a pretty interesting story around it the the whole idea of you know the news is changing and uh, sensationalism and and the uh, <laughs> there's a there's a couple of um, pretty good little like one liners that are thrown out there little quips here and there and the uh, the if it bleeds it leads and yeah and uh, kind of making fun of the the station head and. They almost, I bet you they did some research on that when the first time that was mm-hmm. um, spoke because they said, if it bleeds, it leaves. And you just heard that that last conference you were at. I yeah. bet you they did some research and to find that mm-hmm. out because otherwise I think they get called out for it. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there was um, – I think it's interesting because um, Antonio Campos and uh, Craig Chilowitz both have not huge careers, but um, like they have a pretty extensive um, – like they're both in double digits for producing movies. Right. Uh, and this is the first kind of both their – for first foray into directing and, and writing respectively. And um, so I bet, you know, they, they, they understand a great deal of like how movies work and what makes a movie work and, and um, how to approach something from a, uh, a detail oriented angle. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was technically good. Yeah, it was. Um, so it's it's streaming on Netflix right now. I don't want this to be misleading. I, it's kind of like an overall like a strong seven and a half, maybe eight for me. Okay. Um, I just kind of I, I I guess I took the coward's way out and <laughs> gave it a seven. Um, but it's uh, one of those that um, it's frustrating and of course you know if we add made it a 20 point scale it'd be well is it (laughs) i I, sometimes i do like this i i put it to a five point scale Mm -hmm. and then see like would i give it a four you know and then i would say yeah if it was (laughs) uh it's just so frustrating like i would say that yeah this is um this is the kind of movie that's approaching an eight uh the user score uh, even though it's only 6000 um user reviews on IMDb is a clean 7 um yeah. and i feel like there's got to be some of us out there have to step up and give it the 8 even if it means our credibility mm. um which makes no sense cuz i don't even I know won't if you judge can you. i don't even know if you can see other people's ratings on uh on a user to user basis excuse me i don't think yeah so um I I think that anyone who's interested in maybe um, the kind of debasing and devolution of network news from what it was to where we're at today, or um, there's some common through lines. Yeah, too. yeah, absolutely. Like I think that this uh, it ultimately like the big focus is Christine, obviously the titular character. Um, and it is really all rests on Rebecca Hall's performance, which is, uh, I thought it was so good. Um, Mm -hmm. she like, I feel like down to the way that she walked, she was this woman. And, um, the, uh, her hair is just so like, that's what I, that's the hair I picture of the seventies. Yeah, just yeah, that right. that flower child, like down to her navel, like just jet black and straight. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and uh, but it it is a really good, a really well acted depiction of someone struggling with mental illness. Yeah, and um. I think we've been been careful. I mean, I I give this a pretty solid recommendation. What do you What do you think? I would too. Um, it's 
uh, the pay, there's a little bit of pacing issues, mm-hmm. um, and um, the acting is hit and miss as far as the uh, ancillary characters. I yeah. thought uh, Tracy Letts was pretty good. He's kind of a revelation for me. Like I'm kind of fascinated by that dude. Um, yeah, he he's, just like how uh, much good of like he wasn't asked to do a lot in this role, but he was pretty convincing. I thought no, and when he kind of had to step up to the plate, and um, when he I think right around the middle of the movie when he gets into uh, an argument with Christine um, and the state, like he, he really, he wasn't asked to do a lot, but when he was asked to do something, he delivered. Yeah. 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 And I know he's, he's got, he's got one that he's, uh, there's a new movie coming out soon that he's uh, the lead in. And, and of course he's a, he's the guy that wrote, um, he does a lot of uh, plays and in uh, scripts for the movie ad- adaptations, like August mm-hmm. Os- uh, Osage County. Uh, he wrote Bug. He wrote uh, Killer Joe, which is um, insane. That yeah. yeah. Have you seen like, Killer Joe? I yes. It's so yeah. It's it's an insane between movie. August Osage County Bug and it's just a it's a weird. It's a weird trinity. Yes. Yes. So. Um, but yeah, I like I said, there's a little bit of pacing issues. She was really good, um, and yeah, overall, it's a it's a fascinating story. Yeah. So like, if you don't know the whole story, um, this can surprise you. So. Oh yeah, I mean I. Um, yeah, and it's a true story. So that's yeah. another thing. It's kind of it's. Yeah, and it's yeah. I had never heard anything about it before. So. But, uh, so it's yeah. it's easy to go in cold. Um, I know we've we've definitely given you some stuff, uh, and I just think if you're if you're really into movies and you're really into, um, obviously we talk about her being depressed. Look and see when you notice the cracks in the foundation yeah. and the gaps between these revelations. And like even though the movie as a whole wasn't very well paced, I thought that that says a lot about the performance. It wasn't over. There wasn't some like overexposed, like just written to death or, uh, there wasn't one conversation that went out of the way to put everything on the line or, you know, uh, it just, yeah, it wasn't like this speech of how I'm depressed. I need more help. It was more of, yes, there's cracks in the foundation and you Mm -hmm. start, start to see them throughout the house as the, as it goes on, mm-hmm. even though they don't have a foundation or it's a house on stilts. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. from one sort of depression to another, let's go to a man called Ovi oh. from 2015, a Swedish comedy drama. And this is, there is, this is a, uh, a movie trope. The cranky old man yeah. who befriends younger and more vivacious uh, people. And at first he rejects them, but mm-hmm. at the end, everything. Does it turn out well? Well, it's a comedy drama, drama so I'll let you decide. Uh, this is a story of a man who, in the opening scene, he is um, hmm. He's he's fired from his job or let go from his job. Actually, they're going to give him a severance. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, if you're going to do this, I might as well quit. And they're like, well, OK. And <laughs> they're like, OK, <laughs> well, we're going to give you this uh, this shovel. And it kind of sets the tone for this movie. This crotchety old man 
going in. He's very pragmatic mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, okay, well, you're going to make our job easy. Well, here's this going away present, the shovel to do your gardening with. And it kind of sets the tone, the, the tone for the movie because it's, it's, uh, a uh, funny, lovable type of movie. Uh, you, you know, I would picture the 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 old guy, uh, the old guy from Up. Mm-hmm. You know, picture him only Swedish <clears throat> and a giant. And uh, <laughs> so, anyways, you find out er, as soon as he gets fired, you find out that his he is goes home, puts on his best suit, and attempts to hang himself. And he gets interrupted and thus a running joke begins Mm -hmm. throughout the movie. And it, um, it's, uh, there's not, I mean, this isn't, doesn't have the substance. Um, because if it, I think if this is an American made film Mm -hmm. or movie, I'd roll my eyes, but because it was in Sweden Mm -hmm. and, there's just enough of difference in culture where it's very similar, but there's just certain differences that it makes it fascinating to watch it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and the acting is good. Uh, the main actor, Rolf Lonsgard and, uh, his, uh, young, young befriended person of Bahar powers. Mm-hmm. which is a young lady who uh she does she's really good in it um but this this movie it tells the story of this guy Ovi right, right. and it goes into you kind of you get bits and pieces of him and his how he is he's like cranky old man he's a stickler for the rules they live in this little uh it's not an apartment complex but it's a little uh housing complex um and there's all kinds of rules, but you find out eventually that he's the one that set all these rules. And he goes around and he goes on his rounds every day and checks all the, make sure no one's driving on this certain roads and mm-hmm. no one's parked their bike, picks up the trash. And, and then, you know, if someone's walking a dog, he yells at him. And he's just a crack, crotchy old man. Hmm. And he gets befriended by people. And, you know, you learn a good story or a good, uh, uh, a good message at the end of it. Um, it also, there's some, um, nonlinear storytelling, you know, there's, it's, there's some flashbacks. You learn about his early days, how he got to be this person and all that. And, uh, through pretty much, a, I mean, like kind of a tragic life, mm. uh, but the tragic life of a very good man, I guess is one way to put it. And, um, it's, it's, uh, I smiled the whole way through this movie where a movie like Christine, yeah, not man. a lot of <laughs> smiles. You know, yeah. that one was, it's more of a, you know, Christine's more of a, ooh, uh, and like even the sepia tone uh, film yeah, stock, stocked. or, you know, I probably was filmed digitally and then added in, but it felt like it was done, you know, through 16 millimeter, you know. Yeah. Uh, but with this, it, this all bright colors, not a lot of night shots for a uh, man called Ovi. And um, uh, did you watch? No, I wasn't okay. Able um, to. it yeah, it's it's well done. It's a fun. It's a fun movie. Clocks in hour fifty six. That's a little long um, for a comedy. Mm-hmm. It but it's overall it's pretty good. Um, uh, worth a watch. If uh, 
you know, it's not the hunt and it's not uh, the wave. All good movies so far. It's not Troll Hunter, but that still was a good flex. So, all, so yeah. far, we're, we're doing pretty good on the, well, except for uh, Dead's. No. <laughs> anyway, uh, but the foreign film from the uh, from the Scandinavian countries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I would recommend it. I gave it a, I probably would have hit it with a seven and a half, but I gave it a seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a fun watch cool. and a, a worthwhile watch. I would, I would, I, you know, who would probably like it is uh, OT, but she would like it. Oh, okay. This is, you know, she, yeah, based on the ones that she's liked that I've recommended so mm-hmm. far. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So, uh, what did you give it? Uh, seven. Okay. Um, yeah, it lines and... up across everything. 7.7 7 users, Metascore 70, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um... Yeah, I do. I I still want to check it out. Did um, so reading about it, I thought that it uh, sounded a lot like the um, like a Swedish version of Saint Vincent. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's that same story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that not that same... Saint Vincent is really was really breaking new ground with its story either. Right. But. Yep. It's that it's it's getting to be a Hollywood trope of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, and and just as good I think as Saint Vincent. You know, we're oh, nice. but not not well. There were might have been a little teared up one or two places where I kind of put myself in his shoes, and I was like, yeah, mm. that's kind of sad. But <laughs> yeah, bummer. Yeah. How does the cranky old man get to be a cranky old man? How and in- that's what we learned. So, um, I'm, so yeah, I'm worried. You uh, just I would definitely live check out that. Enough. I probably I would also recommend Christine as well. So two yeah, decent cool. movies this week. Awesome. Uh, one Amazon Prime, one uh, Netflix. Netflix. So, yeah. There you go. Christine. Christine Netflix. Netflix. And Ovi is on Amazon. So uh, you want to dole out some stuff? Yeah, I think it's only right. All right. Uh, next week, and I haven't. I don't think I've given you any music docs. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, so this week I'm going to give you "Gimme Danger," mm-hmm. uh, the story of the Iggy Pop and the Stooges. So, and it's directed by James Jeremush, I think is his name. He's done some. Yeah, Jim Jeremush. Couple. Uh, uh, he's done Dead Man. Uh, yes. Coffee uh, and cigarettes. I think those are probably the only two movies of his I've seen. Uh, Ghost Dog. Oh, ooh, Way of the Samurai. Yeah. Uh, I have seen yeah, that. So, Great soundtrack. Uh, the Only Lovers Left Alive. Yeah. So he's, he's, a, he's a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he exists. He's real. Yeah. Looks like he's a, more of a he's a music documentarian, looks like. There's a lot of stuff in here uh, about Red Hot Chili Peppers, Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. Well, I know uh, that coffee and cigarettes. Yeah, mm. coffee and cigarettes. He, uh, it was like a bunch of vignettes, but he definitely yeah. had a lot of uh, musical acts in that yeah. movie. So, um, Dead Man's really good though. If you're looking for a, uh, did I see that? I can't remember if I saw that or not. Yeah, at the that guy who's in the Pirates, Johnny Depp. 
Johnny Depp. Yeah. Oh, he's coming out with a new movie. Jim Jarmusch or Johnny Depp? Johnny Depp. Murder on the Orient Express. Cool. Nice. Uh, Maybe. That, why does that sound so familiar? Because it was it a, um, a Agatha movie? Christie mo- a novel, I believe. Oh. Hmm. And an old Looks movie like as well. It was it was a novel and then an old movie. Agatha Christie, right? Yes, you are spot on with that. Agatha Christie was yeah. born in 1890. Ah, nice and young. Yes. Yeah. Oh. The 90s were a crazy time. Hmm. <laughs> the 1890s. Wow. She uh, she lived till 1976. Nice, nice, good run, Agatha Christie. I want to, you know what? I'm going to read some art books. Yeah. Let me write that down. Agatha Christie. And then, interesting. All right. Cool. So um, I don't think it's I don't think it's right to say Orient anymore. But anyways, <laughs> uh, the preferred term is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Asian American, please. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> Some Chinamen took them from me in Korea. It's actually not the preferred nomenclature. nomenclature. Asian American dude, please. Um, <laughs> uh, that's kind of like, I feel like that's the movie version of Seinfeld for me. Um, it's not as, as well-rounded and daily as as applicable in daily life as Seinfeld, but the Big Lebowski has a lot of just very you can circle back to it for a lot of stuff. You bet. You bet. You bet, you bet. But let's not circle back. Let's look Mm-mm. forward to 2012. Yeah. Uh, a movie starring Mr. Mel Gibson. You and I are single-handedly or double-handedly, yeah. double-fistedly uh, bring him yeah. back, Mel Gibson. Yeah, bring him back to the forefront. Yes, we are making him a thing again. Yeah, we got him nominated for some Oscars. Mm-hmm. I want nothing to do with him, and yet here, can't get away from here. Me. I am assigning you get the Gringo. Hmm. Uh, interesting little movie from 2012. I've heard it's so I'll be anxious to see if it is. Yeah. I uh Is that what is that on Netflix? It is on Netflix, yes. Cool. I uh I think you'll enjoy it. Um cool. I enjoyed it, so not that that means you'll enjoy it, but just for a point of reference. Yeah. Okay, onward. Yep. <laughs> uh Gimme Danger is on Amazon. AP, and get baby. The Gringo, get the Gringo is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want the audience, if they haven't seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was a big hit back whenever I was a kid, streaming on Netflix right now, uh, the mix of cartoon and uh, live action, and uh, pretty fun to see. Um, and I, I don't know if they could do it now because of all the different, um, uh, not brands, but... Uh, the different uh, cartoons from different uh, yeah. properties, I guess, or yeah. studios, like mixing together. So yeah. everything's become much more litigious. Yes. Since yes. 88. Yes, the 
can't free willing eighties. Can't help but blame. Where myself. they weren't thinking about money at all. No, well, <laughs> no, they were, but they weren't thinking about DVDs. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I I probably saw this in the last maybe six or seven years. I've seen it. Um, I I I liked it still. So uh, yeah, I think it's a solid movie. I um, I'm trying to figure out what it was rated. PG. Yeah, there you go. Um, That's another reason they probably couldn't make it today. Yeah. I I know that. I think they're trying to. There's like at least a script out there for Who Framed Roger Rabbit 2. Yeah. But we'll see how. uh, Yeah, it's it's, uh, in development, allegedly. Of course. Um, Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to see how that works out and if it could. I mean, I'm sure it'd be a PG-13 movie, but it just, it'd be different. Because yeah. you're right. Like, they, they, it's not that it was, they weren't motivated by money, but there's that foresight into how big um, licensing and home video and all that stuff. Yes. And then all the different forms of home video, the VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, um, and all the like strange, like little, I guess, details and contracting and stuff like that. Like I know, right. um, Malcolm in the middle was it's streaming on Netflix, but they never like released anything after season one on DVD right? because they couldn't afford the, uh, music licensing to distribute it. Oh, really? Yeah. And if you remember the, um, cartoon Daria, Mm-hmm. They, yeah. 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 So it was a MTV show, and mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. They would kind of, uh, as like background tracks, they'd play like current songs. Right. Right. And um, when they released the uh, series box set, they went back and actually like recorded, um, like just like instrumental. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. To just plug in because otherwise they would have never been able to like afford to distribute it so it's just stuff that i guess wasn't thought of yeah and then of yeah course, like, ends up being a problem later. Be the same way right yeah i would think so i thought oh, was kind of an offshoot of beef with some butthead it was yes it was yeah. a, a a rare example of the um uh God, the man. spinoff yeah the the spinoff being uh, I mean they're they're incredibly different, but yeah, Darius way better than Beavis and Butthead, and I like Beavis and Butthead because I'm an idiot. Mike Judge, yeah, Mike Judge knows yeah, he, he, he can tap into a a zeitgeist. I he think. knows smart, stupid. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I do love Mike Judge, but I think Dario was uh is, is a significantly better show. Yep. But hey. We're not here to talk about TV. Nope. Um, and if you want to hear us talk about Get the Gringo and Give Me Danger next week before you uh, dedicate any time to them, we do have some recommendations for you. Mm-hmm. Um, shit, you said Who Framed Roger Rabbit already. Yep. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm not all the way here. That's okay. You're um, getting there. You're yeah. getting there. Yeah. Uh, Going to need another beer to get me there. Uh, yeah. So I got one for you. movie we talked about, a movie we didn't really – didn't really connect with us um but i do i am curious um 
if listeners who haven't seen this movie, uh, if you kind of, I think a lot of the people who listen see this, th- uh, see movies through a similar filter. Um, our tastes aren't, you know, homogenous, which is a good thing. Um, so I'm at Manchester by the Sea is now on Amazon Prime. When we reviewed mm-hmm. it, it was on Fredo Flicks. Uh, so I'm curious, some, some people listening right now, get a fresh set of eyes on there and let us know if maybe there's something we missed or, or if we're just really good at our, yeah, yeah. our our hobby job. I mean, it's definitely not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. If it wasn't up for Oxford and we kind of stumbled upon it, I'd be like, you got to check this movie out. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think it's, it it came with a lot of hype with it. So, yep. And that um, can be a hint. That circles back to Winter's Bone. That was yeah. that was definitely a hurdle for that movie. For for me watching it uh, a few years removed, knowing that it was a uh, kind of a prestige considered a prestige picture. So, um, but that's uh, that's an Amazon Prime, along with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yep. Boom. Party. Well, I have finished this beer. Okay. And, uh, you want to take a quickie, gonna... and then we'll, uh, and then we'll go get a beer. Yeah, take a quickie, pause, and then. Uh... <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then we'll it's podcast. A good, it's a good. It's a good one to lean on. That's yeah. It never gets old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and the right. joke's always fresh. Yeah. Doesn't really work there, <laughs> but we'll be right back. <laughs> All right, and after all that, we're back. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so um, got those out of the way, got the assignments, so you know your homework. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did a little extra credit this week. Uh, I went or I catch up with some movies we had talked about last year. Um, one was uh, War Dogs, mm-hmm. and I can't remember where I watched that. I think it was on HBO. Um, uh, but it is uh, directed by Todd Phillips, who is mainly known for like the Hangover series, Due Date, um, uh, movies like that. More of a comedic uh, director, and starring Jonah Hill and Miles Teller, with a nice little cameo—not a cameo, but uh, uh, Bradley Cooper shows up in it in a little different role. So that was nice. Um, but this is like, um, so it's. It's almost like a it's almost like a Goodfellas or Scorsese film or some over. That's some, uh, how it felt to me. Okay, like the, that's how the um, the ad campaign kind of played to me. Yeah, there's and a I lot of like freeze frame while it. narratives going on, mm-hmm. or you know, um, uh, the narrator's talking. Um, you know, they do, you know, what's happening right now, and then they'll flashback. This is how I got started, you know, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so. It's decent. It's based on a true story. Of course, as far back probably... as I can remember, I always wanted to be an arms dealer. That's right. <laughs> it uh, just rip off good fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like a lot of musical stings, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, you know, and it's not that old. So it's like, you know, based in in like from 2005 to 2009 or something, maybe or something like that. So like the musical cues are pretty recent. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, uh, both Miles Teller and Jonah Hill do a great job. Um, it's just, 
it's it it was good i gave it a six could have mm. been a seven it was just it was good it was yeah. just wasn't like blow your socks off great you know um especially if with those two yeah at the helm yeah um, i definitely had pretty high expectations for this movie so six but is... it, it don't let that score like deter you. it's a good movie and it's there's a decent little story but you can see there's there's some a lot of telegraphing and it's told from one person's perspective and it makes the other guy look kind of bad in places so and i don't think when you're an arms dealer and you're you know your partners you, you can get off that scot-free you know um so i think there's a little bit of revision revision revisionist yeah. history uh, from the storyteller's point of view, uh, but overall, I think it was uh, it's a decent watch. It's a good, fun watch. I think uh, the clock's in at one forty-eight or one one hour forty fifty-four minutes. Um, That's shorter than both it's, movies we watched this week. I'm kind of surprised. Uh, so that was a good one, and another one I watched, which was quite a bit different. Uh, but quite a <laughs> bit more interesting. <clears throat> from 2016, a uh, documentary from, uh, uh, and it's, this is on HBO. It's called Tickled. And it's, um, and so it, it opens up. And I'm telling you what, there's not a better opening to a documentary. The first half of this documentary is fascinating. It falls off at the end, but it, but the first part of it is so intriguing. And it, what it is is a New Zealand um, – and it's kind of like uh, with Christine. He's a news – or he's a, he works for a news channel, mm-hmm. uh, but is like their uh, blogging guy or their, you know, quirky, I'm going to go to Comic-Con or, you know, do weird stories on weird people, that kind of thing. He's fringe. Um, and he finds this thing on Facebook, I think it is, is like – it's called Incompetent. Competitive endurance tickling, <laughs> and he finds like these these posts, mm-hmm. and like of like good looking in shape men tickling each other, and it's um it, it, they're all clothed, so it's like mm, it, it there's there's very strong hint, hints of like homoeroticism in it but it's there's no actual sex or anything in it and it's just so odd what he finds yeah and so he goes to make uh inquiries and wants to interview people to you know i want to learn more about this and the response he gets from the people who do this and he he's uh i think bisexual and he's from new zealand and he gets all these hate uh letters on email um like we don't want you know, you're, we don't want your, we don't want you to come. You're, you know, all these, uh, uh, um, uh, homo, oh, like uh, homosexual anti, slurs. Yeah. Homosexuality. Well, just like they're, they're crushing this guy's character. We're going to sue you. We're going to do all these things. So like any good journalist, he dives deeper and gets in and starts to fall, like pull the string on this, on this mystery. And it is a fascinating mystery. Now, like I said, it peters out a little bit at the end, uh-huh. but overall it's, it's pretty good. Um, I would put this on the level, probably just a, maybe, um, a step down. Like if it would, if it would have held that pace throughout the whole thing, kind of like uh, what Wiener did for me. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> wow. I some I'm flipping through my notebook furiously, and I have um, my uh, New Year's resolution list. At Tickled and Wiener are um, yeah are, are coupled together. Yeah, because these are the two documentaries I need to see this year. So I'm I'm glad that you're reacting to Wiener that way. Yes. Well, I I mean, I think Wiener over cuz it made my top 5, I think from last year or top 10 so. or whatever. Yeah, I um, think so. I think top 10. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um Wiener I think from top to bottom is better if if they could have held that <laughs> bet it is. breakneck pace. <laughs> yeah. Tickle would have been even better, but um there so it does it does follow a weird rabbit hole and uh intrigue and like tickling type fight club things where they're popping up all around the United States and just uh, shady characters, lawsuits, um, all kinds of weird stuff. And uh, there's a, if you have HBO or HBO go, there's a little addendum to the end of it. There's like a, a 21 minute short that follows up like at the screenings and the release of the movie. And they film that, and certain people show up to these screenings, really? and it gets a it adds um, it's a nice little addendum or a footnote or a epilogue or no, yeah, prologue, epilogue. Which mm-hmm. one's the end? Uh, epilogue. Epilogue. Epilogue to the uh, to tickle the movie. the The short is called the Tickle King, and uh, yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. It's like when you can find gold in a documentary like mm-hmm. this, like find something that's just I, like obscure. Like it would have been fine if you find this and like, oh, and the people were willing to talk. It's just like a fetish. It's like furries, you know, like yeah. people are willing to talk. You know, that's fine. But when there's like uh, shadiness and lawsuits and everything, it just makes it that much more intriguing. <laughs> right. And it was so it was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, check it out if you can. It's like I said, it's on HBO. Um yeah, find somebody that has HBO and get their password if you can. Yeah, it, yeah, I yeah. definitely recommend the recommendation for both Tickled and War Dogs, but Tickled even more. <laughs> nice. Uh I forgot I did have uh I did see a movie on my um uh Oh, your New Year's uh, resolution your, list. Yes. Yeah. Um, so as I think I kind of mentioned, or I definitely mentioned on Twitter, I did see the first two. I did watch the first two Harry Potter movies. We recently watched the third one, The Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, which, if I'm not mistaken, I think is one of Neil Orange Peel's favorite sequels. Um, not, not one of mine. <laughs> um, it's. It's definitely uh, getting – it's moving towards a darker place. And it's not that I want it to be like this dark, gritty thing. I do understand that it's, it's family-friendly and, um, and, and all that. But uh, there's just still these like weird missteps that they make. There's one specifically uh, that it just – a scene that was just written to death and there's right. just so much it's so dialogue heavy but it's so um 
is just stepping over itself over and over again. And they're trying to... Um, oh, exposition Yeah, type so thing. much exposition. And they're trying to keep this big reveal under wraps. and Or not even that they're trying to keep it under wraps. I think they're trying to build this big reveal. Uh, oh, I like that. But hmm. it's not ramping up the tension. It's just kind of a circle jerk of like... Um, just just or like is of... it like they have to tell the story they have to get these story points in no it's because specifically they, a it's scene the, that drove me insane it's okay. one scene in particular that should have been like if they pull pulling off this scene would have been the equivalent of sticking the landing um but instead for people who know um and Maybe you won't agree with me, uh, but there's uh, the big reveal in the Shrieking Shack. Uh, just a complete misfire. Like way too um, just talking in circles, too much exposition, too much of, uh, of building up uh, to a reveal that um, if you don't know it's coming, it's a, it's a good reveal, but it's just too much talking they're just they kind of are just talking in circles repeating themselves stepping on each other's lines and um it kind of bummed me out because otherwise the movie was was moving along pretty quickly and and from there uh it just it just finished a little lackluster for me um it's like it's like they really missed the um they really missed a key point uh right and i don't um, I'm definitely uh, not super well versed in the whole Harry Potter thing. I did, but I did read the first four books, so I'm still um, watching movies of books that I read um, in like junior high. That I'm kind like I know the major points, and I knew, right. and I did know um, the reveal they were building to. And that wasn't the issue. The issue was how it was handled. I think it was a total fumble at the goal line. Um, don't throw it. Give it to Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. And he will Is run it? through a motherfucker's face. Yes. And maybe it's an eight, but um, pretty good. It got a little moody. Uh, there's also a freeze frame ending, which is just um, awesome. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, it's for just a different work. Yeah. I think. Um, garbage hot garbage freeze frame ending super cheesy um because it's even i don't know what it is but i just think that there's with um tentpole movies there's a a lot of playing it safe and a lot of treating the audience like they're dumb kids are reading like kids are reading these books that are 400 500 800 pages long and they're they're young kids they're not they're not fucking dumb. Right. Stop stop playing down to an audience. Right. The audience isn't at that level, I don't think. And if they are, you uh, I I guess it comes down to making money, but those people are less than. Those people are remainders. Like <laughs> if they're too dumb to figure it out. No, we got to stop this this anti-intellectualism must stop and it needs to start the stopping needs to start in Hollywood. Their remainders. Yeah. That's a great condescending put down. I like it. 
<laughs> their remainders. Them, them and people who are bothered by the word moist need to get the fuck out. <laughs> I'm back. Remainders. <laughs> <laughs> I felt, That's math humor right there, man. Uh, That's great. I felt asleep for about an hour, but I'm back. I'm fired up. Yeah. So I gave it a seven. Um, it's a <laughs> it's a middle of the road uh, movie. Still not. Um, so you're you're less than half the way half the way if you're looking at the movie runtime. Yeah. You know, oh. So are you going to continue this this? Yeah, because honestly, it is. Um, the the mythology of it is still yeah. it's pretty interesting, and I'm getting to the point where. I have to make some some key decisions here. Um, huh. Am I gonna so, like? I have to either buckle down and finish this book series, which I don't know if I I I simply don't know if I have time. We're you, at the halfway mark of the to, year. <laughs> yeah, you have to quit it or get off the pot. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I'm I'm right at the um, the fourth book was the last one I read. Um, and there's seven books and eight movies. The The last movie is in two parts. So, there you go. Uh, yeah. So I gave it a seven. I'm really hoping that I know that um, thematically the book series takes more of a turn in this fourth book. Um, I'm hoping that the movies like like I'm saying, it doesn't it doesn't need to be the dark night. Like it doesn't need to be this like gritty realism <laughs> raining all the time but i do think that um one of the big things that um people have championed people growing up with harry potter have championed i guess i grew up at that time but i didn't grow up with harry potter because I, right. I jumped ship at the halfway point um and i've only uh, only saw the first you grew out before. of harry potter How's yeah that? yeah nice high five Ooh, that actually the sound effect and that, that, that worked uh not on yeah we're good. We're pros. And um, anyways, I just, the for people that champion it and say that they it grows with its audience, I'm, I'm hoping that's true. I'm hoping that it can bring a little more gravity in. And it doesn't matter that it's, it's fantasy and it's... Uh, no. It, that doesn't matter. Um, like, you can still approach that with a... I, I mean, look at what comic book, I mean, not comic book, look at like Sin City, Dark Knight, um, uh, not some, Iron Man was a lot more fun than, than both those movies. Um, but like you can, you can take something that is kind of inherently fantastical mm -hmm. and give it gravity. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm hoping that that's what happens. Um, and I will continue to report back. So. Okay. Well, that's hey. If you're, uh, I'll let you go down that wormhole because mm -hmm. I tell you, um, yeah, that's. Uh, I don't see myself getting into that. So. Yeah, there is there is something, and maybe it is the familiarity because I did read some of the books, but there is something endearing about it. Um, but I will, I will never back down from. Like the first movie is uh, to derail us a little bit. Uh, the first movie is absolute garbage. Like it's a right. it's a terribly made movie, um, and uh, it's funny because I know you and I are big fans of the After Disaster, and Anderson was having this kind of 
the kind of meltdown <laughs> maybe three or four weeks ago about Harry Potter. Right. Because he's a huge movie guy. I mean, he just finished shooting his first uh, feature film um, after uh, years and years of uh, doing the film vault and doing another yeah. uh, movie podcast, which if you have more time, mm-hmm. you know, maybe check those out. But definitely, we're first. We called yep. it. We called it. No take backsies. Um he was he was having the same thing, and uh, he was freaking out about like how he grew up with Star Wars and these kids talking about Harry Potter, and the yes. the other two guys were like, no, well, Mike especially, who's always everything's fantastic, anything good is fantastic. Oh, it's fantastic. No. Um, and they were they were kind of champ, not kind of, they were championing it, and he just didn't get it at all. And I don't, if you don't have any reference point and you watch that first movie. There's no need to continue. You like you've already invested too much time if your first foray into Harry Potter is that first movie because it's trash. It's a terrible movie. Um but also you can't be like, "Well, I grew up with Star Wars." Yeah. Mm. Doesn't quite. So this is um maybe a bigger discussion than we're willing to take on now, but I kind of been developing my own theory behind star wars um because the first and uh a new hope and return of the jedi are not amazing movies yeah it's like, i think the empire strikes you, back is yeah. a fucking awesome movie i think that yeah, it's it hits tight. on so yeah. many emotional levels it's paced incredibly well it has the advantage of having this world set up for it. But I think the big thing about Star Wars is that it captured people's imaginations at a young age. Because people that are really into Star Wars, they're into things way beyond the movies. They're into yeah. TV show spinoffs. They're into uh, these extended universe novels. I had a friend mm-hmm. who had a whole like Florida room, um, which is kind of like a sunroom, um, I guess, uh, but yeah, yeah. just just filled with these extended universe novels, and I think that's what it does. Is I think that it's this they create this rich world that captures your imagination. But well, that's why, like, they a new I mean, hope I, is not a great movie. Oh yeah, I know. No, you're right. I mean, and it's, time maybe hasn't been that kind to it, and George Lucas certainly hasn't been kind to it. No. And it's it's the um, the world building aspect of mm-hmm. it, the you know, and it's whether it's it's the hero's tale, it doesn't matter yeah. what it is. And you look at it, either you look at it through Lord of the Rings, or Star Wars, or mm-hmm. Harry Potter. It's the same story, yeah. That but it's set in in a world that you kind of dig, you mm-hmm. know, be mm-hmm. it you know uh, space opera or you know, yeah. And uh, look, I I don't mean to shit on Dungeons because, and Dragons or yeah. you know whatever, yeah. You know, it's. <laughs> It's the world you can you dig and like yeah. you're fascinated with. You know, for me, it's you know the like the you know I love getting into the world of Batman. You know mm-hmm. that yeah the just actually just the city of Gotham. Mm-hmm. I don't like want to go to any of the other cities, Metropolis or anything. I just want to stay in Gotham and yeah. see what's going on there. You know, so it's like I'm right there with everyone you. has their thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, like I, I love Star Wars, and I think a big part of it is because it did capture my imagination, and it is that familiar arc that you kind of, um, when you're a kid, you don't really know it, but you can kind of nestle into that, and um, 
Like, I remember the last time I watched A New Hope a few months ago, I was like, what the hell? Mm. Like, this is, I, and not even, not even like, oh, this isn't good, but I just remember um, the pacing was so weird. Yeah. And it just, like, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's very choppy. Like, it's, they were in the, uh, they were briefing on how to destroy the, uh, the Death Star. And that's why I was like, what the hell? Like, this is, this is all happening so fast. Yes. What is going on? And it's just, I watched, I watched, you get older and you just, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. Oh, look, I, uh, for all the criticism that I think it's due, I'm still, I'm going to keep seeing them. Yeah. Well, I, I, like like I said, I just watched rogue one again Yeah. and it, actually like because it ties into that familiar universe so well yeah. it's that much better of a movie yeah. you know what i mean because it's there's familiarity it's thing it's reference points it's things you know it's like oh that's it's a warm blanket it's a hot yeah. cup of uh well maybe not it's a cold beer on a hot day it's something comfortable um, yeah yeah absolutely look i i'm i i don't want it to come off like i'm hating on star wars i'm just hmm. trying to trying to put on my uh critical spectacles and um call it what it is i think it's more than being a good movie i think it just it tapped into something and captures the imagination and Mm -hmm. i think oh my brother has a he he's grown to hate star wars and there's one reason hot topic he hates the fact that the stormtroopers can be killed by laser guns Mm -hmm. they're wearing armor why wear the armor? Mm-hmm. It's bulky. You can't move. You can't turn your head. You can't really climb. You can't do anything like other than march. Mm-hmm. Like you march cool as shit. Yeah, but, but it looks cool and that, it captures you your imagination. You get shot and killed easier than anybody else because you're white and you stick out. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. He's very upset with it. <laughs> Classic Aaron. Yeah. Classic here. Uh, um, he's a very verbose yeah. fellow. Yes, he's he's quite the wordsmith. He is, yeah. and he's um, like a he's got that rape rapier wit and and a tongue to match. He he better stay away from my wit unless it consents. Hmm. Um. Yeah, well, yeah. Good. Star Wars is great, but. It, I do think that it, it, um, it leans on that and leans on that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that it, um, because it's, it's such a part of its pillar as a cultural, um, its pillar of cultural relevance, uh, kind of supersedes the actual reason that it's relevant. Right. Well, if you look at it like when it came out. And you look at the other sci-fi options in that at that mm. time or before it. Yeah, look, it was, the there was it was just it was just so much better, and mm-hmm. that's why it landed and it had an effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, most of us saw it when we were kids, mm-hmm. and that and that adds a lot to it too. It's yeah. a easily digested uh, premise, setup, all that. Um. And they're, they're so good. They're still fun. But I'm just uh, like trying to look at it through an objective lens. So mm-hmm. send your hate mail to me, not Brad. Mm. <laughs> I got to start saying some, some controversial stuff. 
Like it's a hate <laughs> oh, mail. Oh yeah. Some, yeah, real controversial. Star Wars captures the imagination. Look, I love it. It's just not great, but I love it. <laughs> some, some I had a lot of qualifiers. Yeah, a lot of backpedaling. It's, it's not great, but it's so good. Yeah. Hey, I I mean, look I I've got like a couple of prints of like portraits from star wars characters behind me so it just it resonates with you and it hits on some level but that doesn't mean that it's a masterfully crafted movie i know i know yeah so hate mail me yeah don't at at brunview pod on twitter get at me all right brad will Um, read it before me though (laughs) well that was that was a deep dive yeah, that, uh, sorry. No, I, that's good. I like it. I, I warned you, I was your, derailing. Your deep dive into world building. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Building worlds. A um, lot of world building this uh, second half of the show tonight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, uh, why don't you take us through this uh, this new premise you've got for us? Yeah. Well, so I went, um, this last week, I went to see Tool mm-hmm. in concert. And Tool's my favorite band of all time. Um, it was a great show. Um, and, and I started to think, and I was like doing some, uh, YouTube searches and, you know, watching some videos and stuff. Cause of course tool, they're a bunch of tools at times. Their stuff isn't digitally available. Yeah. Uh, except on CD, which kind of stinks. Sucks. So I'm watching YouTube and I watch, I go down, um, a list and I see that, uh, one of Maynard James Keenan's, um, side project. A perfect circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, their their biggest song and one of their first songs is called Judith, and they um, it was directed by David Fincher. Yep. And I'm like, oh, cool. So I check it out and I'm watching it, and it was it was done in uh, the late '90s. Give me a second here while I pull it up. Um, and it 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 had uh, it was oh actually in 2000. Okay, so but I'm watching it. And I'm just like, oh, there's a lot of it feels a little bit like Nine Inch Nails. It feels a little bit like Seven. It like I can see the mm-hmm. some of the uh, you know some of the aspects of it. And I'm starting to think, well, you know what would be cool if I go back and just start watching some of David Fincher stuff. Like go back and like his early stuff and watch it the whole way through. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well talk about it. So what I was thinking was, and that kind of spiraled into doing maybe doing like the filmography of a director or an actor and gone through the whole catalog or, you know, most of the catalog, you know, and to see the evolution or kind of dissect um, someone. And it's going to be probably someone I enjoy or we enjoy. Mm-hmm. So, and so it's not hard to palate. Uh, yeah. It's palatable and able to, uh, as it goes down a little bit easier. You know, if if we were to force, if we were to do a deep dive on like Gaspard Nose stuff, that might be a little harder to do. Um, so I was like, okay, well, David Fincher's yeah. a good one to start on. He's got ten major box office movies. I'm not, we're not going to do the, all the music videos, and we'll, I'll get into that in a second. But um, starting with Alien Three in '92, it's then there's uh, Seven, The Game, Fight Club, <clears throat> Panic Room, uh, Zodiac. The Curious Case of Benjamin Buttons, uh, Social Network, Girl Dragon Tattoo, and uh, Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. And 
I was thinking, well, that's 10, 10 movies, 10 weeks worth of shows, a little extra content, and yeah. and we'll call it, maybe call it a deep dive or yeah. some something like maybe that's not, we could do it with beer or something. But, uh, but I, so anyways, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. So I, I went back and I, um, watched Alien 3, mm-hmm. which kind of coincides with what we're going to talk about later, mm-hmm. which is all very, uh, coincidental or, serendipitous so um <clears throat> but that's a long a lot of talking to say i watched uh one of the worst al- well, not the worst alien movie but one of the lesser <laughs> the second liked, worst <laughs> the lesser uh, uh liked alien movies yeah. but um getting back to just a little bit back a uh, background on david fincher because i was like oh if i'm gonna do, do it deep i'm gonna you know if i'm gonna talk about a guy i'm gonna talk about why i like him where he come from a little bit but uh he um he originally was like he worked at uh, Industrial Light and Magic in the early '80s. So he worked on movies. I think he worked on well, he worked on uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back and Indiana Jones or uh, Where's Lost Ark and some of the stuff. And then he got into uh, a bunch of mu- music vi- videos, um, a lot of Madonna stuff. He did a, b- a bunch of uh, commercials with Nike and Coke. Uh, did. Uh, directed music videos for Madonna and Sting and Rolling Stones, and um, a bunch, a bunch of different stuff. And then he got his shot to do um, uh, Aliens Three, his big first big motion picture. Mm-hmm. And um, so Alien Three or Alien Cubed, as I like to call it, because that was the marketing campaign had the little three mm-hmm. instead of the, yeah. the big three. Um. It was okay. So it it literally takes place like maybe days, if not weeks, after the end of Aliens, as mm-hmm. far as the timeline goes. And uh, they're all in hypersleep. Um, what? Is, who is it? Um, uh, uh, Ripley and uh, Newt and um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Michael Bean's character from Aliens, um, uh, Lieutenant. Oh. Crap. I don't know. It really doesn't matter. Wait, whose character? Um, um, Michael Bean's character, Corporal Hicks from Aliens. Hicks. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Anyways, it's it. Those and uh, Bishop. They're all in hyper hyper sleep, and they're and uh, a face a face hugger gets like this is all in the opening sequence of the movie mm-hmm. and it's 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 shot interstice inter splice splice between um credits of actors and it shows a quick snippet of what's happening on this uh, on their ship as mm-hmm. um they're sleeping and it shows the face hugger getting into the sleeping chambers and it causes it to jettison and go to this planet and crash on this planet where it is a um, a mining colony, uh, but it's also a penal colony. So they're mining ore and lead and all this stuff from this planet, mm-hmm. but they're a bunch of criminals. So basically what it does is it gets off the spaceships and it's now on to uh, terra firma and it's in a conveniently very hostile place yeah. um and 
you uh, you get uh, I don't know I guess there's not a whole lot of people who may know in this uh, I guess one of the, uh, Pete Pothelswaite yeah is one of the bigger names on it but he has a very limited role uh, Charles Dutton you'd know him as The Rock uh, Charles Dance you'd know him from Last Action Hero Last Action Hero or yeah. Um, he's also in the imitation game. Uh, oh, he's in Ghostbusters, the new one, but, uh, hmm. kind of a creepy looking dude. But anyways, <clears throat> it puts Ripley in a penal call. It just pretty much gives her a reason to shave her head yeah. and be a badass. <laughs> it's a life planet. Um, yeah. Um, so the, so I, I want to talk about the movie, but I also want to talk about uh, Fincher too. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a lot. I mean, this movie is dark. It's 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 damp, and it's it's dirty. Yeah, it's basically definitely. how you can explain this movie. Um, it feels like <clears throat> it feels like a Nine Inch Nails video after Trent Reznor and all everybody left. Yeah, like, and it's just a, like what's left, just dripping steam and like orange. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just it's just uh, and it, it it's a good atmosphere. And you know, like I I, I was real I was thinking about this like halfway through the movie. I'm thinking if this movie and when it came out '92, mm-hmm. if this movie is a standalone movie, it's yeah. actually pretty. It's not a bad horror movie. No. It really isn't. It's not. Uh, but like compared to Alien and Aliens, which are probably two of the greatest horror like action horror. Well, I'd say. Aliens is a better action movie. Alien is a better horror movie. Absolutely. Um, this actually holds up pretty good on its own, but it, it has to... It's under the weight or the burden of those other two movies. Yeah. That's kind of how um, I feel about uh, The Godfather Part 3. It's not... The, oh, okay. It's not like... It's not a disaster. It's just how could you... Like, how do you follow up The Godfather? And then they yeah. did. And it's like, how do you and, follow and up The why Godfather would you Part 2? Yeah, like, you can't. Yeah, and I only I've only seen that once. So thankless I, job. I mean, it's it's not it's not like just watch one or both of the first two, you know. But uh, but it's not horrible. Um. So yeah, it's um, it's not it's not a bad flick. But mm-hmm. uh, one of the big problems and was. It went through a ton of rewrites with the script. Um, uh, the original writers, it was weird. like Sigourney Weaver wouldn't come on unless a certain person was writing it. Mm-hmm. And then they rejected his script and it was going through all this rewrite. Like it was originally supposed to be at this set at this monastery where they had like half of the monastery built. And then the script changes, budget cuts, and they had to change it to a penal colony, mm-hmm. and like all these, all these uh, uh, things going in, and like uh, the production company was like on Fincher as a first-time director, and like he said, it was one of the worst, um, uh, one of the worst experiences he ever had. Like when I came to the end of it, he. Uh, they had to do some reshoots and stuff like that, and he just went, he didn't go back because um, they had to they had to actually do the ending, and he did, he didn't like it, and he wouldn't go back and do it. Yeah. Um, and so it was fraught with that, and I think and I think you confirmed this for me, but I think they said like even the they what they call the direct what would be the called the director's cut is not the director's cut; it's the 
Yeah, it's sometimes known as the, like the extended cut assembly or, cut. Yeah, the assembly cut. Yeah. 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 So they yeah. couldn't even put the director's cut on it because he wasn't inv- he was refused to be in it. He wouldn't do a commentary for it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Even in the um in the anthology, I think after Resurrection came out, it was Alien Aliens, Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection, like they did a box set of that mm-hmm. and they he w- he's the only guy that didn't do a commentary on it. Yeah. Based on, you know, who all was involved. So it was like fraught with all kinds of things. It went way over budget. Uh, I think the budget for it, <clears throat> uh, a budget of $50 million, uh, grossed 150. So, I mean, just based on the name, it did well. I remember watching it whenever it first came out. Mm. I, I don't know if I watched it as it came out or watched it within the, you know, after it came out on uh, uh, VHS. But uh, yeah, it, uh, you, you see, uh, well, they got Giger to do a lot. H.R. Giger, the guy who originally developed the, uh, uh, the Xenomorph. Yes, the Xenomorph. Yeah. In all, well, through at least through this one, I don't know if he did it for Resurrection or not. Um, but um, he developed a new one, uh, mm-hmm. more of a what they called a Puma-looking. Uh, they called it like, yeah, it's like made a quadruped. It, Four legs. Mm-hmm. Um, they had some really cool shots. Or, well, let me get into Giger a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giger just has a crazy um, artistic ability to create creepy, weird, crazy things. Yeah. Um, Anderson from the After Disaster, big fan of him, went over and saw the Giger, HR Giger uh, Museum. I, or, yeah. I hope I can do that someday. Yeah. Um, there is a uh, documentary called Dark Star. HR yes. Giger's World yeah, on I, uh, Netflix. I need just, to see that. Just yeah, point of reference. I think we I think we talked about that. Yeah, before. I watched you, it. I think uh, you talked about it a month or two ago. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so and so the, the alien itself is cool. It's it's mobile. It uh, there's they do a, a a little bit of I don't know if it's CGI or what it's called at this point. Um, there's one or two like jarring CGI shots, but then there's a lot of um, uh, practical effects is too, uh, mm-hmm. where they have, you know, you get the, the iconic shot of her with her head to the side oh, against yeah. the wall and the alien's face coming down in the smaller alien coming out of the mouth, you know, uh, yeah, the phallic a, symbol of that. Like a classic. You know, there's all kinds of well, that's, stuff. Oh, that's H.R. Giger's work, like from yeah. start to finish. Yeah. Um, so you get that. That's a, like an iconic shot. And I actually had forgot that that was in this movie. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't know why I was remembering. I mean, because I probably hadn't seen this movie in almost 20 years or or so. Um, and uh, uh, some cool film work with uh, POV of the alien chasing people through all the tunnels and stuff um, where it's a, kind of like a fisheye lens. Mm-hmm. And you know, you see the person running and it's, it, you know, you're on a track or at least it's a, like a handheld or something where they're running through all the, and then it flips as the, the alien goes up to the ceiling and it's chasing people down. So you get an upside down POV of people running away from the alien. And, um, you know, <laughs> uh, one of the, one of the problems with the ending and one of the problems with the production, it was, um, I guess the script was done or some of the scripts were done before uh, Terminator 2 came out, and the, the ending was very similar to what Terminator 2's ending was as far as how to kill 
kill <laughs> kill kill it and so you get um they had to do a little bit of rewrites there and then uh with how uh the heroes all end up and i guess i can't remember the name what's the name of the company oh the whaling Newtani corporation right so this is the first time it was actually said out loud mm-hmm. supposedly in this movie there was always um signs and stuff in the other movies where they were um referenced that but this is the first time it was said out loud hmm. um but i guess you what i got from it like and his next movie is seven so i'm going back to fincher now and i'm yeah you get a feeling of that and you see in seven when i said earlier about um dark dirty and wet yeah that's that's the first things you would think it's if you were to describe it in adjectives or as far as you know uh, I, that's how I would describe seven. So you get that same kind of feeling, you know, very monotone. There's no bright colors, you know, um, get, yeah, almost very, a black and white movie without being in black and white, you know? Yeah. It's very washed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is the same way where you get grays, browns and greens and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, I don't know if that was worth it, and if you no, do, you have anything to add on it? I kind of. Um, I just i i definitely I know what you mean. Like, it's not a terrible movie, and even like if you go to the IMDb page, it's got like a six point four, and yeah, the uh, meta score meta scores fifty nine. Um, little little low on that on that but like it's it's not a terrible movie but it's just so uh difficult to uh to really sell on um following on the heels of you have a really great horror movie with uh action and sci-fi elements um and then you have a really great uh action movie with sci-fi and horror elements and it's almost like um they've been able to reinvent the wheel twice how many more times can they do it so it definitely (laughs) does get crushed by that weight and um i I think that david fincher being a new um feature director and definitely being someone who i think he has a clear idea of what he wants and how he wants his movies to look and i think that he um would later go on to have better command over, um, over his products and his, his, uh, his films. Um, I think that he just kind of got caught up in, uh, a movie that was in some form or fashion going to be made by a committee. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's what it was. It was, uh, yeah. Death by over analysis. Yeah. Good director in a bad, put in a bad spot. Yeah, and like, um, you know, of course, no one knew what he was going to be or how he right. was going to be. But you know, uh, it for me, like, there were some shots in here that were good and like uh, memorable. You yeah. know, uh, especially like that. Oh, that! I, I mean, the Ripley with the shaved head and, and um, 
looking forward in in terror. Well, I guess she has her eyes closed. Um, and the alien, the xenomorph, like coming in from the side is that's absolutely iconic. Right. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, uh, and I guess I'm gonna do this for for Fincher and keep mm-hmm. going. Um, mm-hmm. And if you or the listeners want us to keep going, then yeah, we'll do know. it with some somebody or something else afterwards. So yeah, um, I hesitate to do it on like, I mean, you're doing it with um, Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hesitate to do it with like a series of of. Uh, like a movie franchise just because mm-hmm. I think you might get bogged down too much in the same thing where like this, you can jump from movie right, um, genre to genre with mm-hmm. different actors. You know, we could do it with actors or we could do, you know, with directors, but um, you yeah. know, you may get a couple sequels in there. Like if you do a certain, like if you do Tom Cruise movies, you might get something, yeah. but uh, you know, I would, I'd be fascinated to do like, if you were like uh, one that would be, would be interesting is do like a Nicholas wanting ref and one, yeah. you know, for you because, and, and it's a short one too. It's only what five movies yeah. for, um, you know? So, yeah. You could, you could run through it. In yeah. A month. And, and they'd be interested to talk about and dissect, dissect them a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. And I'll try to be a little bit more succinct at least, um, and try to hit the plot points a little bit better. But, uh, you know, I know with a movie like Annie three, not probably not everyone has seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. I mean, I know you have, but uh, uh, but like a movie like Seven, which will be a little bit easier to do, as far as you don't have to go through all the plot points and everything. But we could do like because that'll be what I do next week. Um, but I'll talk about more of the the making of the movie and the style, like just a little bit of the uh, like a deeper dive into it instead of just the plot synopsis and what I thought of it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like it. I think it's fun. Um, any recommendations, anything like that, you can uh, email us, broomviewpod at gmail.com. Um, if you have something really quick uh, to say, you can hit us up on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, Pod at broomviewpod. Uh, it's just pretty straightforward there. And then um, we've we've always got a lot to say. If you want to hear more from us, uh, every week, Mr. Brad is uh, on Span the Void, and their yeah. website is spanthevoid.com. Yeah, so this guys, next week coming up, talk? I'm going to be off. I won't be on the show. Really? Oh, because yeah. you'll be in uh, Virginia Beach. Yeah, they're going to have some uh, some guest hosts, mm. I guess, from what I hear. Oh, that's weird. No one contacted me. So, All right, uh, never no, go to spanthevoid.com. Uh, fuck that place. And... Hmm. No, seriously, um, spanthevoid.com, iTunes, obviously. And then uh, I also do Matt and Andrew vs. Society. Uh, we're, we're getting ready for our uh, 200th episode. 200. So, so I've been uh, dipping back in the, uh, in the, the archives. archives. Yeah, so you don't have to because <laughs> no one should have to. <laughs> uh, it's weird to think that we've gotten better, but uh, we're on the saucelounge.com and along with uh, – Every episode of the Bruin View podcast. So, yeah. Um, iTunes, subscribe, rate, comment. That would be awesome of you. So, sure. Yeah. And untapped, as we previously mentioned, we, uh, we love interacting with people there. That, that way we know. Uh, I mean, I assume if you're listening to this, you have similar interests, anyways, but that, that's the physical manifestation of it. We have the yeah. data. 
in front of us. These guys party. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so, um, keeping in theme, yeah. uh, I recently saw Alien Covenant, mm-hmm. which was uh, Ridley Scott's latest foray into the, uh, well, Alien or, I mean, the one-two punch of Alien and Blade Runner kind yeah. of uh, solidified... Um, not kind of. I would. I would just flat out say solidified uh, Ridley Scott as an important figure in sci-fi. You Even bet. though yeah. um, I think he's a great director, I think he builds great um, worlds for his movies to take place in. Yeah, like Mars. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he he's able to even American Gangster, American Gangster, a movie not a lot of people loved. He was able to build 1970s Harlem and make it tangible. He was able mm-hmm. to build Mars and make it tangible. Um, and uh, Alien is one of the first movies that he uh, made where you knew, like you knew where you were. It was very established space. Um, yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. Uh, and the, the it created a world, in, like we'd say, world building, mm-hmm. a little bit more non as. Um, I mean, you say sci-fi. It was it was a little bit more based in reality, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, this lo-fi future, um, which I still love. I go back and um, watch Alien. I think it's it's a movie that I probably see once a year. Um, it's. Uh, top five, potentially top three movie for me. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and it, I, I revisit it and I love the look and I love the feel of it. Um, <laughs> especially as we move closer and closer to society just collapsing. Um, mm. This lo-fi future seems like a cool possibility. Um, it seems very grounded in reality and it definitely seems like Maybe I'm a hundred percent wrong, but I just don't. I just think these things maybe not necessarily running like DOS <laughs> with the text-only computers, but yeah, I that's don't, the one. That's the bad. The bad yeah, part of it. Yeah, but I don't. Other than that, like I don't picture like everything is just sleek and shiny and like sexy, skin tight. Um, Lived-in universe. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, lived in universe to keep me from rambling too far down the rabbit hole. Um, Alien nails that. Prometheus, which predates that in uh, continuity, throw, throws that out the window. Um, okay. And Alien Covenant follows um, suit with Prometheus. So uh, it's almost... It feels uh, talking about convoluted timelines. There's there's only one you can reference to as the granddaddy of convoluted timelines, and it's X Men. Uh, <laughs> but uh, for there's Brian Singer's yeah. timeline and oh. everyone else's. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's James Mangold's world, and uh, the New Mutants are just living in it. How about that? Yeah. Um, 
so this, uh, I, I love the feel. I love the visuals of Alien. Um, and we kind of talked about, not kind of, I mentioned Alien is a horror movie with sci-fi and um, action touches. Aliens, uh, not by Ridley Scott, by James Cameron, is an action movie. Um, I think Prometheus was uh, Ridley Scott's shot at fusing both. Uh, I think he hoped it was seamless. Uh, there, there are definitely seams showing. Uh, but I think Prometheus gets a really bad rap because... I think everyone wanted too much of Alien. Like, they kind of wanted the the <clears throat> magic and the wonder of Alien explained away. They want to know where these creatures come from. And it's not that I don't have these questions either. Right. Um, but, like, they want to know where these creatures come from, who created these creatures, what are they, uh, like... like well, they want, and that's the thing. They want the whole dossier of these these xenomorphs he he tried he gave you not you but he gave he gave the people that wanted he gave them that just not the way that they wanted it no and there was a yeah yeah absolutely and that's the thing that they're they uh i think people don't realize that this is exactly what they were asking for yeah and it's just not the way they wanted it. It, it, it. There were some lofty ideas and some yes. uh, obvious, like overarching, like religious and mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, the the creationism and the yes, uh, the primordial ooze. To, you know, some just, some yeah, some really lofty ideas in some really beautifully shot landscapes for sure. Oh, yeah. Um so I felt like Alien Covenant was the response to the Prometheus backlash. Okay. Um, you look at Prometheus, and uh, you remember, um, I guess <laughs> that was a question, but it sounded like a period at the end of that. You remember... Um, when they actually land on the planet, they're in full spacesuits. Yeah. And when they find out that the the air contains oxygen, they take their helmets off. Yeah. The internet went fucking wild about that. Oh, did it? Yes. They're like, well, just because there's oxygen doesn't mean that it's like in, you know, all this... All this hard sci-fi stuff, all this hard scientific right. fact versus this this poor movie. Hmm. Like, I feel like Prometheus is just unfairly beat down. It's not on the level of Alien. It's not on the level of Aliens. But I think it's a pretty serviceable movie. And prequels are tough. Prequels are just... It's almost like... They're fan service. They're fan they service. Really are. But... When the fans get serviced, they complain about it. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. it's so it's so thankless. And I, for what it's worth, I enjoy this movie. I, I think it's a clean seven. Um, You're talking about Prometheus. Covenant? I'm sorry. Okay, Prometheus. Okay. Um, but so Prometheus, it has these lofty ideas. It has this imagery. It has this. Um, 
it, it there's a lot to it. It tries to add to the myth, the mythos, and kind of um, build this backstory and build this I- idea of where we come from, mm-hmm. which I think is is uh, one of the things that people had problems with is they just want to see the the xenomorphs. Yeah. Um, and and where the xenomorphs come from, and uh, so Alien Covenant comes along, and it is the it's it's a reactionary movie. Uh, right. They they do away with any sort of lofty ideology. They really, That's what it really felt do. like to me. They really really do, uh, and they to the point where. Uh, it felt like Ridley Scott was like, well, you're going to complain about this. So we're just going to be like, we're going to land on this planet and we're not even going to wear spacesuits." And like, to me, that came across more nonsensical than uh, the people finding out there's oxygen on the planet that Prometheus takes place on mm-hmm. and taking their helmets off. Uh, it just felt like, uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna bog you down with these details. We're not gonna bore you with this stuff. They are. It, well, it is before a you go too direct far, sequel to Prometheus. Okay. Or um, let's. Or what's? Or you're gonna spoil? Do you want to do spoil? Uh, do you want me to? I I don't mind. I okay. I don't. It's yeah. not gonna. Uh, it's not gonna ruin my experience. So okay. If you if if it's gonna right. make it easier for you to explain what you want to explain. Yes. Then... Absolutely. So okay. going forward, there are gonna be spoilers to. Jump ahead. I I'm giving this movie a mid to strong recommendation. Um, if you like the Alien franchise, mm-hmm. um, but so if you don't want to be spoiled from here on out, we're gonna we're gonna do that. So okay. the one of my biggest problems with Alien Covenant is it feels derivative in the way. Spoiler alert! Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have said something. Uh, <laughs> it feels derivative in the way that other franchises, like Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, um, Hellraiser is a really bad example because Hellraiser goes off the wheels like or off the rails like you wouldn't fucking believe. Um, uh, did I? I, told, I went into an image search. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And Hellraiser, yeah, like it gets weird, weird stuff. Yeah, <laughs> nonsense happens um, right around the time that Clive Barker departs from the series. Go figure. Yeah, it, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. You think it'd get weirder whenever he was there? Yeah, it, it's odd, um, but it feels derivative. In the idea is you have a familiar group of just walking archetypes. You have a harrowing experience that forces them into a situation. Um, the rainstorm in the Friday the 13th movies. Um, yeah. Halloween night in the Halloween movies. Yeah. Uh, just this very basic, very... Um, all right, so we're going to do this in that way we can start all the madness and mayhem. Right. Like it's just very, it's, it's like a repetitive exercise. Well, I mean, point. just it's, like alien three, we're going to wreck on a 
a penal colony. Exactly. We these strangely convenient things to need in this. It makes it but, more difficult in the yeah. Alien series because you're talking about space and what do, like what do we know about space? It's the final frontier. It's infinite universe. It's constantly expanding. So for them to keep running into the xenomorphs, it the more it happens, the more convenient it feels unless yeah. they're on every planet but Earth. well let, let me ask you this did they say whether or not they were on the planet the the, the same planet that they prometheus they're, no was? they're not so they are on the planet that david goes to after prometheus oh okay and okay. david uh he's the lone survivor uh of... no david and elizabeth shaw room oh that's uh, right yep 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 yeah. yep 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 they survive, and, and David um, is one of the biggest problems I have with this movie. Is his motivations are very murky. Um, it seems like he had. It's the same character from Prometheus, but it seems like a completely different um, iteration of this guy. Like well, his, he's yeah. now obsessed with creating and destroying his creators. Right. Which was never really touched upon. Like he was a, um, a, a loyal servant of Peter Whalen in Prometheus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in this, he is, he's just a scientist. Hmm. Like he, he is the create, and this is a big spoiler and a big letdown. He is the creator of the xenomorphs. No, like he has become obsessed with breeding this, this um, perfect species, I guess. And when you see them in Alien and Aliens in the subsequent sequels, they are kind of this perfect killing machine. Like, you know, you their, mm. their blood is acid. Like he, well, okay. So, mm-hmm. but we get to see the xenomorph in Prometheus though, right? Right. You, you see, it's not these, um, yeah, it's an early, almost prototype. This seems like okay. something he stumbled upon, but you find out that he's been, in this makeshift lab experimenting. And one of the things that really bothered me was, uh, it's really funny that you assigned me Gimme Danger because when we show up on this planet and we finally see David again, he looks like Iggy Pop. <laughs> he has this long, straight, blonde hair, his weathered face. Okay. And I was so bothered because I'm thinking, why do androids' hairs grow yeah that's the that's the first thing i started to think and his hair is long but he has no facial hair it it's a stupid oversight is all it is but it bothered me way more than it needed to um but from oh, i forgot he did have kind of blonde hair in mm-hmm. in prometheus yeah. yeah 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 and uh so there's a follow-up uh um of course, there is a uh, android, um, and uh, Michael Fassbender plays both David and Walter. Walter is a later model, um, and this is 
such a cool thing. Um, even if a movie is not great, when you give a great actor a great role, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where it is. If they, he is so good at being these two characters and these two characters interact. These two characters have discussions. These two characters share a pretty good chunk of screen time early in the second act. And it's just so impressive. But Michael Fassbender is uh, one of the most talented people working right now, I think. And uh, you really get to see that. And he really shines um, when, when the opportunity is presented. And uh, <laughs> as this new character, Walter, that has kind of a uh, American like drawl, <laughs> and David, which has this very like refined, proper way of speaking, interacting right. with each other, kind of funny. Um, and uh, so he gets to interact with himself a, a decent bit, and that's pretty interesting. But there's just some really like strange stuff, like David's um, motivations, and it is it takes ten years takes place 10 years after Prometheus, but David's motivations are just completely different from his motivations in Prometheus. And that was problematic for me. And of course things happen where the, um, the crew is getting ravaged by these creatures. They need to get back onto the ship covenant. And, of course, when they make it back to the ship Covenant, they've got company. Yeah. Um, and this is uh, the reason I – if you watch it, I think you'll have a good idea of why I say derivative. It's just all it's very standard fare, very easy. Like Lay- kills, like kills one at a time, you know, one after the other after the mm-hmm. other, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah, and you know where it's going. It's it's just like it's, a standoff to the end, and it that it, type of thing. It is layups. It is just the easy way out over and over again, and it doesn't have to make sense. It just has to get you to the next action sequence. And that mm-hmm. being said, there's some fucking awesome action sequences. Um, I, well, I'm looking. I'm looking at um, Catherine or Catherine uh, Waterston. Mm-hmm. And uh, like her haircut, and she looks like Ellie which, from ET. What? Oh, I was gonna say. I mean, her haircut and stuff gives mm-hmm. her the the Ripley look a little bit, and in some places, <laughs> there's a scene where she has like a a blanket over her, and she looks like Elliot. <laughs> okay, well, that's <laughs> um, weird. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, she's got some like. Yeah, it's weird to see. Her in that because I the only thing I remember her from is from Inherent Vice and she mm-hmm. looked quite a bit different. Striking. Yes. Yeah. And less clothes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's uh <laughs> yeah, completely unrelated. Um there's the the action sequences are incredible. And it felt mm-hmm. like this was all that they were working towards. And it felt like everything else was just an exercise in figuring out a way to get there. Um, there's a cargo ship scene, which is at first 
I was at first I was watching it. I was like, well, this is just going to be utter nonsense. And then they find a way to ground it a little bit, make it a little more um, feel a little more plausible. Mm -hmm. And then they just they nail it like the the action sequences in this are just so not what I expected from Ridley Scott. Um, These they're more James Cameron than Ridley Scott, but and which neither are bad. They're just different. Um, and they just nail it. Uh, they nail uh, the scenes that require gore, the scenes that are heavier on horror, the scenes that are heavier on action. They, they nail them consistently. Like this is, I've already decided that I'm going to see this movie again because I right. enjoyed those parts so much, but it just doesn't reach that upper echelon of rewatchability because of the movie as a whole. It's the right. type of thing where I want to put it on and I want to watch certain scenes and it's just kind of popcorny. It's just fun. Um, but it's to circle back to Alien 3, if this is a movie that just stands alone, you're, you're talking about a, a much different movie um, where they're kind of free from these shackles that they need to tie into, and you can make just a quality sci-fi action movie. But because it, it, it gets kind of crushed under these expectations, for one... And two, because it is the sixth movie that is tied into this, directly tied into this universe, not counting the Alien vs. Predator movies, right. um, it just seem it just feels more derivative because of you're so familiar with okay, um, group in peril, group brushes with uh, this creature, group is ravaged by this creature. Group brings it back to the ship. Couple survivors. There were um, there were a couple moments where I thought they were going to take some risks. I thought that um, Catherine Waterston's character Daniels was going to sacrifice herself. Um, also reminiscent of Alien Three, and uh, it didn't it didn't happen. <laughs> I was like I was going to be I was like wow cool there she's actually gonna go through with this and then right. they, they kind of rode around it and I was like oh, yeah come on just die like just something unexpected happened so I can be proud of it right. um the so I cast well, good cast let me okay so uh, well I what were you gonna say because I was, I was gonna ask uh, Gonna ask some more broader questions. Okay, uh, cast, good cast. Um, s- scenery, good scenery. Um, the ship felt a little more sterile than Prometheus. Um, well, I see. I thought this the Prometheus ship was more of a like, uh, like compared like. Uh, well, I it from the trailers and stuff for Covenant, it looked like mm-hmm. it was a more of a more of a functional ship than a, a luxury ship. Like in, in Prometheus, it's felt more like a luxury, you know, uh, high-end exploratory, yeah, well-financed, where this 
where Covenant looked like more more of a uh, expeditions, uh, low cost, owned by companies type, you know, lowest bidder type thing. Yeah, well, Covenant is um, a colonization mission, right? So they're they're actually going to a different planet. Okay. Um, but of course, something happens that forces, like something convenient happens, and then they have to um, have the the tough talk that you know just ultimately results in them landing on this other planet, and this other planet happens to be inhabited by xenomorphs and David. Mm-hmm. Um, just these these conveniences, yeah, that, that become all too uh, frequent in subsequent horror sequels yeah um good cast the the uh the prometheus felt warmer i don't know if it was um it just felt more homey almost like it was still super high tech of course but um it just wasn't like you know there were beds there were uh what's his name um was you know sitting watching the storm with a blanket over his shoulders playing the accordion and uh, there are just these small touches that made it feel less um sterile Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know all in all if we're talking plot this this movie's a six um, if Man. we're talking action sequences, if we're talking revisitable moments, if we're talking, there's some really tense moments. There's some really graphic moments too, which is, um, maybe weird to say in a, uh, franchise that's built around things bursting out of people's chests. This is by far, this ups the gore, um, to to a surprising factor, especially considering that this is the same director from the original Prometheus and now, um, and the time between this and Prometheus obviously not as significant <coughs> as the time between Prometheus and Alien, mm-hmm. but the gore I think is considerably more extreme. Um, but the the action, all that stuff that. There's some serious eight moments in there, and okay. I just kind of settled on a seven. Um, I think that if you have some time and want to go to the movies, there's a couple other movies like Guardians of the Galaxy, Wonder Woman's coming out. Um, I'm more interested in those, um, but that could be hindsight. Yeah. But yeah. I think there's some really cool sequences in this movie, and I think there's some really great revisitable moments. But I think that ultimately what happened here was Ridley Scott was presenting big ideas in Prometheus. And when and they didn't pay off in the eyes of the viewers, he just yeah. said, fuck it. And that's what this like, feels like, is this is like, this is what you want? Here you go. And in some well, ways that- it is, but in other ways, like, I want those big ideas. I want something a little more challenging. I want something that takes a couple of watches maybe um, that, that has more um, subtext and substance. And, and even if it's not the best, like Prometheus, I, I would say Prometheus is a better movie than this. Okay. Well, that's, that's more my, one of my broader questions is like we get, I mean, Ridley Scott is, um, he's 79 years old, mm-hmm. right? 
and we're you know like wh- where are we at as far as you know where this like as this lead lens uh, ends mm-hmm. like are we ready to do we need another movie to to bridge that gap between covenant and the first alien um this is a very uh like this, i'm sure they left this things... really, no they they move you straight forward to the next one they okay. set so it the up. next the next the in next in line the final like 10 as... minutes definitely set up for for whatever's coming next okay and uh yeah. i hope neil blancom's not involved i've come to this decision that okay um, i i i love neil blancom but he's only doing he's only done original movies so far i don't want him to jump into the Marvel universe, the alien universe. I want him to keep doing his thing. And, and there, I think there's a few directors like that. And, uh, right now that their names get thrown around. And I know, uh, Jordan Peele has actually said he's, he wouldn't do a Marvel movie. I'm like, good. Thank you. Cause yeah. look, we, look, we obviously like those movies. The, yeah. Well, this is the thing. I mean, Yes, like artistically and fanboyish and mm-hmm. all those things were like, yes, make it pure, do your thing. But at the end of the job, mm-hmm. or end of the day, it, it's their job. Yeah. You know what I mean? And right. it is a job. And, and like, I'm not going to like artistically not, you know, do crown molding in a room just because it doesn't go with the feng shui of it. You know what I mean? I'm right. going to do it just because they're going to pay me to do it. Right. So like, but you know. Uh, if you're so like, like get out kind of wrote Jordan Peele uh, passes. It wrote his ticket for maybe the next two movies. But he's got to be what he needs to do because if the next one's a flop, Mm -hmm. he better have one. He, you know, he, it wouldn't be a bad idea for him to, uh, you know, do one for one for them and one for me, one for them, one for me. That kind of thing, you know, where actors will do that same thing. Yeah, you know, but actors do art- can take on a couple, two, maybe three roles a year. Uh, like yeah, if I you're know. directing, it might be two years, and and you're talking about four years when we can't get an original movie from Neil Blancom. Yeah, well, and it's but it's not like he puts them out. No, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I just I, I like and I get it with the Marvel thing. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I'd rather not see him do that. Like those things are so I mean, those are workshopped in. You oh, know, yeah. Like we talked about before, you got so many hands in the pot and doing all that stuff. But a movie like Aliens, like if, if Ridley Scott would, you know, dub him, you know, worthy because mm-hmm. like I'm thinking like, um you know, if 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 Neil or if Ridley Scott gets to the point where he doesn't want to do another one, but has the ideas, and he's like, okay, I I deem you worthy, and then mm-hmm. allows uh, uh, Blumkamp to uh, to uh, I don't know, you know, to to go into that world. Yeah, I, I think it could be good. Oh yeah, um, I, I I think it could be too, but I. Uh, yeah, I, I I'd see rather as well. let me make a uh, recommendation. Um, Neil Blomkamp, Blomkamp, Blomkamp. 
Yeah, I, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing yeah. it right. Don't worry. Uh, Chappie guy. Yeah, guy who made Chappie District 9 in Elysium. Like, I'd rather him keep making these movies because some because I think someone else can take up the mantle and I think someone else, when the blueprint is laid, can do a good job. Because that's what you see with, um, with these comic book movies now is people who... Uh, make a name for themselves on the independent circuit, and then they pop up, they get the big blockbuster movie. Um, and that's good. Like, I, I, It's a very tough position to be in as a movie fan because I love those movies, but I do also want to see something original. So um, there's a book called The Greatest Sci-Fi Movies Never Made by David Hughes. Okay. And... Uh, the the forward actually is by H.R. Geiger. Um, it is um, just kind of chronicles a bunch of different movies that were um, either in development, fell through for various reasons, passed on, or the script has been kicking around for a long time and like people will get their hands on it and kind of like pick it down to its bones. And those ideas will show up in other movies. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the thing. If if Ridley Scott wants to, you know, let Neil Blomkamp pick his brain and then use that for whatever movie Blomkamp wants to make next, that'd be fine with me. Um, but the greatest sci-fi movies never made is uh, available for just nine eighty eight on uh, paperback on Amazon Prime. Let me see if it's uh, got an audible thing there. And, uh, of course, I assume that we'll be compensated greatly um, if this blows up, mm-hmm. a.k.a. three people buy it. Um, sorry. Uh, this is... Nope, that's fine. I'm looking it up as well. Greatest. It's greatest sci-fi movies never made. And it doesn't look like it's there. Bummer. So you can't listen to it. Um, but it's a pretty easy read. Like each chapter maybe ranges between five and 15 pages. And each chapter just strictly deals with another movie. And kind right. of the story of how it fell apart. Um, and it's it's super easy to pick up, put down, since. It is like that. Um, but I think it's uh, I think it's a pretty good read if you're if you're into that sort of thing, which if you're listening to this, you probably are. Um, but but yeah, like I, I think there's always gonna be capable directors to make these movies. And of course, it's a job. and of course, um, maybe you can make a great movie, but it can't make a ton of money. and Marvel approaches you. And then you, you know, don't have to worry about money for a little bit. And you're right. You're the one for me, one for you type of thing. But I don't know. I feel like is, I feel like these Marvel movies are going to keep rolling out. These DC movies are going to keep rolling out. These alien movies are going to keep rolling out. Um, why not? There's always going to be someone to make those. The people who can come up with the things like District Nine and the and the things like Chappie, they keep them doing their own thing. So, I don't yeah. know. 
Yeah. I, I don't I, know. It's long, long-winded for sure. But, yeah. But I, I just you want you. I, I get it, man. Because it's like, such you a. Keep, you, I want to keep them for yourself, and I want to eat it wanna too. Enjoy yeah. them. Yeah. I get, I get it. Yeah. Because like, yeah, he's got a good run going. You know, he's only thirty-seven years old. Yeah. I know that seems old to you, but God. No, it doesn't. He's done so much more. Yeah. Than I have. Oh, as far don't. as artistically. Yeah. Don't. I mean. Don't worry about the next man. Yeah. yeah. No, um, one thing I wanted to say before we mm-hmm. get going, I, and I, I'm, don't let me cut you short. No, no, honestly. no. I, uh, but I, I did want to say to. that uh, <laughs> Neil had uh, had emailed us. Uh huh. And did we we didn't talk about this before on last week's episode, did we? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, where know. we talked about uh, Transpotting two. Mm, oh yeah. We might did we? Have. We might okay. have. But just for safety's well, sake. He was disappointed. Well, yeah. Uh, it, one of the things that made me, um, which kind of, it's like art imitating life, you know, that kind of thing. You know, he, he said he recently, he also watched Four Lions, um, which he obviously watched it before uh, the bombings and stuff that happened in mm-hmm. uh, at Manchester Stadium. Yeah. Uh, here, whatever, last week. And, um I, you know, uh, you know, I, and it's that you get when movies do things like if you haven't seen four lines, it's about four, um, inept jihadist and it's a comedy, it's satire comedy, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's poking fun at, at something that's not funny and, uh. You know, he he really liked the movie, but he's also from over there, yeah. and like, I, I I wonder because events in your life, like a movie like or an event like nine eleven for mm-hmm. us, or uh, maybe something even more personal, you know, death or or uh, tragedy in your in your life, and you see a movie like how. And it may, this is probably a topic for another day, mm-hmm. but it just kind of struck me whenever I watched it, and you know, or whenever I read it, it just like how all that affects a person, mm-hmm. you know, w- with the subject matter that's probably fresh in his mind because he recently watched it, and then this thing happens. Yeah, you know, I'd be interested to hear from Neil's uh, perspective on it. You know, how that kind of like how <laughs> it's kind of silly to think like how's that affect how you view the movie mm. obviously yeah but also like how does it uh your mindset yeah because you know, i seems like neil's got a pretty good head on him and um you know has oh a, yeah he listens to this show so well for sure smart um, guy uh but like you know that those kind of things those tragedies and those mm-hmm. events you know what can you take from movies and stuff that make it and you know yeah. movies are silly and stupid but they're also a big part of my life and like i can that's how i sometimes speak to people in mm-hmm. movie quotes and and yeah. movie references so yeah it just it was an interesting juxtaposition connect. like reading that i was kind of like oh my god you know that really has something you know yeah uh, yeah absolutely well i i mean i know that uh a stand-up comedian named anthony uh jesselnick he yes. uh has made a living being offensive. And I yes. have a friend who absolutely loves stand-up comedy. Um, and 
I asked her about him once, like after I had watched one of his specials, which I absolutely fucking loved because it, it nailed the people that it kind of just nailed the people that drive me insane. Um, with just a, a deft hand. Um, and she was like, I hate him. It's, it's never funny to joke about cancer. And she had just lost her mom to cancer. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's the type of thing. And I hope I'm always on this side and I, I, um, I know that I'm not going to find everything funny, but I, I really think that it's, it's not a lot of things in life are black and white, but I think that it's either all okay or none of it's okay. Mm-hmm. It might not be your taste. It, you might not agree with it. You don't even have to accept it, but you do have to accept the fact that it's, it's not off limits. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and I think that, yeah, like that's, that's really sad and it really is, um, scary that it's the world that we live in. Um, but if you can't make fun of jihadists because it's a serious subject, what's next? Yeah. You know, what's the next thing you can't make fun of? And what's yeah. the next thing you can't make fun of? And I think it's a domino effect of things that are just suddenly not okay to joke about and not okay to talk about. And they're not going to be funny and it's not going to land. Um, and there's certain well, subjects that are nearly impossible that you can only really joke about if you're a, a true craftsman. But that doesn't mean that you can't try. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I, I think that that maybe is, is uh, a, a aggressive stance, but I, I hope that I continue to stand by it. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's, it's a good way to look at it and live your life mm-hmm. through that. And, you know, and you could call it a rationalization as well, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, but... And this is, well, and this is such a, a, a small thing on the things that happened there. Mm-hmm. Like as, as much horror and people like the loss of life and the loss of limbs and loss of uh, uh, ways of life. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that was also taken was that movie. It They kind of take that movie away from yeah. me. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. and, and that's such a stupid little, like, insignificant little right. thing. But, yeah. but like, you know, fuck, you know, people need to learn how to take a joke a little bit. But Yeah. Yeah. You know. But it, I mean, yeah, it's what happened isn't funny. But can you find a way to the absurdist, play up the absurdity? You can make absurdist humor about, yeah. uh, you know, the absurd uh ideals and stuff yeah, yeah. so i i'm sorry i took us down that no road. no it's, it's fine like I, it, I think it's it's a it's an important thing to discuss and and i think that if you try and bring it up on your other show you'll just get railroaded mm-hmm. <laughs> um maybe maybe I, I i i don't have any experience with that <laughs> nobody knows yeah I, n- n- me either um <laughs> but it's it's uh these are things that are, that aren't inherently funny. They're inherently tragic. Yes. Um, but well, if you can yeah. find a way 
Tragedy plus time. Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is reverse. Yeah. For four yeah. lions. So yeah. yeah. Oh, I'd like to say this to ISIS. Get away from her, you bitch. <laughs>